Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Curley and I'm joined today by Mr. Marco Arment. Hi, Marco. Is it weird to say 5x5 five five now? Because you know you went so long saying 70 decibels? Yeah, I mean, I never really introduced the show um, as, the, as the network, but it's weird for me when I'm like saying where the show notes are and stuff. Right. Um, and sometimes I kind of slip up. I mean, it's like in the same way that sometimes I introduce the incorrect show. <laughs> right. Because I do so many. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm very well, mate. Very well indeed. Now, I want to just, right off the bat, I need to make sure that you're not launching anything next week. Because every time you've been on this show, so this is your third time on Command Space. I think that's a record, by the way. Awesome. Um, you the first time, the next, literally the next week, you launched the magazine. Yep. And then the second time, you launched Neutral the week after. Well, Neutral was you know a massive event. It was. Obviously, you missed out on a, on a huge scoop. There. It was a pivotal event in in podcasting history. <laughs> so there's no, nothing th- coming so- next week. No, not as far as I know. I, I mean, I have nothing to launch yet. I, have, I haven't written much of anything that's worth launching yet. But uh, I do plan to launch something, hopefully alongside the release of iOS 7 this fall. We're gonna, I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit later. But so to kind of to keep, to, to frame this conversation a little bit, uh, there are some people that I, I know that I want to interview or I want to interview again. And and I keep sort of uh, a running document with these people and questions that I ask them as they pop into my head. Since the last time we spoke, I had a document running for the next time that you came on the show. And it has been populated by Neutral, ATP, selling into the paper, the Tumblr thing, selling the magazine, and now the next thing. That's all? That apparently, you have been extremely busy over the last few months. When you put it that way, it does sound like a lot. Because when was the last time you were on? I'm trying to find that now. It can't have been that long ago. Uh, it was January, or let's see. Uh, yeah, I have I have in our Skype chat window January 13, January 16th, 2013. There you go. But that was but the magazine was already out, so that was right before neutral, right? Yeah. So, but all of those things have uh, you have been a very very busy guy. Yeah, it's been kind of an unexpectedly busy spring. Um, and it's it's probably going to be an expectedly busy summer. Um, you know, I spent most of the spring, well, you know, first working, and then like in in um, March and April, I spent most of that time basically selling things. <laughs> and and um, you know, selling Instapaper is is not like you know you just flip a switch and one day it's done. Like there's all these accounts I had to transfer over and server setups and. You know, a lot of you know, a lot of just domain knowledge. I have to tell them and meet with them, and and you know, just get this new team up to speed on on how how I've been doing things and how the whole thing works, and um, you know, to give them a chance to to start with something, and then and then they can take it their own direction. Um, but you know, selling Instapaper was was a lot of work. It's I think it might finally be done. Like I, I just recently had to transfer one of one new account over to them. Like I, I think it's it's now it now might finally be done, but I can't even say that for sure because there's just like when you have a web service running for five years, there's so many different little things that you add to it and forget about that. You know, there's oh, oh an account here, an account there, or this monitoring thing, or oh, this this weird DNS thing. Like there's all these little things that that just add up, and and so uh, so that actually took a lot of time. And that was that was even after all of the paperwork side, you know, arranging the deal, signing the deal, lawyers, accountants. So all that basically consumed my spring. Fortunately, the magazine sale was way easier because it was a much smaller company. It was in existence for much less time, so I didn't have all this stuff set up for it. And uh, and dealing with Glenn was really really fast and easy. So uh, so selling the magazine to Glenn was was one of the easiest um, paperwork items I've ever done. And uh, and yeah, that's uh, that that basically consumed the whole spring, uh, and and really all time up until about two weeks ago. So you basically just spent the summer cl- like cleaning house. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is like major spring cleaning. Fortunately for Tumblr, which is the biggest of of the acquisitions that have happened in my world, I had to do almost nothing. I had to just sign a couple papers, and you know, it's, <laughs> that that also isn't done yet. But yeah. Everyone else is doing the work on that one. I don't really. I just have to occasionally receive a big stack of paper and sign something and send it back. Just sit uh, back and watch the money roll in, right? That's, uh, yeah, that's we hope so. Business model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, you, but you know, yeah. So I basically did spend the entire spring like 
spe- spending tons of time in order to make free time later. So you told the story of selling Instapaper really well on Quit, actually. And I'm going to put the, I think it was episode 25 or something. It'll be in the show notes, which are 5by5.tv slash cmdspace, command space, slash 48. Yeah, it was episode 21 um, of Quit. And I wonder now, like, because, you know, that was pretty much a couple of days after and... uh, you know, you'd, you'd announced everything. How are you feeling about all of this now that it's pretty much settled? So the dust has settled. The you know the initial excitement is, is probably worn off a little bit, and the, all the press know about it. And you've had the questions asked of you many times: Why did you sell? You know, why didn't you want a team? And I just wonder now that everything's calmed down, and maybe even some of the hate has worn off a little bit. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling great. I mean, I was even surprised how little hate there was. Uh, like I, you know, because I figured, like in my world of, you know, independent nerd developers who generally, like, usually in my world, an acquisition is bad news. You know, an acquisition of, of something you use is usually bad news. Yeah. And uh, so I was really, you know, I'm not, I was very sensitive to that concern when even thinking about selling these things, and 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 that that informed my decisions of who to sell it to and on what terms, but. I still thought, oh, I'm going to get a lot of crap for this. And especially in the case of Instapaper. Because yeah. it was just much bigger. And, uh, and so I really didn't. I mean, I, I was really very pleasantly surprised. Because the fact is, you know, some small portion of Instapaper users like follow me on Twitter and know who I am. But that's a pretty small portion. And the reality is the rest of the user base really doesn't give a crap who owns it. You know, like they just want to use the product. And the fact that somebody else owns it now is either is either not news to them or it's good news. You know, like the, most people really don't care. They just want to keep using it. So uh, it was almost kind of like overly arrogant of me to even expect that there would be so much more blowback because it's like, well, people don't really care about me that much. They care about the product that much. And so I was, I was very pleasantly surprised that, uh, that it mostly was good news. So are you you're still convinced that you did the right thing? Yeah, I, d- I definitely am. Um, the fact is, Instapaper would have continued to stagnate if I still owned it. Because the fact is, I just didn't want to work on it anymore. And I couldn't keep up with it. So the combination of those two things, of like you know both having lost interest and there being tons more work than what one normal person can, can do, um, it would have just continued to, to uh, stagnate and deteriorate over time. So... You've mentioned in a few places that you are in, involved or will remain involved. Like, what is your role at, at, with with the new Instapaper at BetaWorks? Are you just like an advisor to them? Yeah, pretty much. You know, they have questions and I answer them. Um, and and you know, they we had a couple of long meetings um, earlier on in the acquisition where I was basically telling them like, okay, you know, here's here's why I did things the way I did. Here here were my plans for the future. Um, you know, here's here's what you know, what informed those plans and, and why I was planning to do those things. And so they can now take that and, and they don't have to do what I was planning because they own it now. So, you know, they can do whatever they want with it. Uh, but, you know, they still, like, they wanted my input and they wanted, you know, because they, they care about the product too and they care about keeping the customers happy and, and keeping the spirit of the original product alive. So it's in their best interests to... Uh, to you know, to not screw it up, and and I don't think they will. Are you worried at all that they might make changes or do something to the product that you never wanted? Oh, I'm sure they will, but that's you know that's the reality of selling it. Because yeah. what I also didn't want was for the product to sit around and slowly die, and that's what it would have done under my leadership. So, uh, you know, like the fact is, like when you sell something, you know, you're giving up control, and it's going to be taken in different ways. It, it's going to they're gonna you know if they add some feature I don't like. I'm going to have to deal with that. Or if they change something that that was, that was like my baby, well, I'll have sure. to deal with that too, you know? And yeah. and that's just part of selling it. You know, I uh, that that's always a risk, but I just have to look at the alternative. You know, like I, I think it's it's interesting to think about you know, look at like Tumblr and Yahoo and people, you know, a lot of people said, well, you know, what if Yahoo's going to ruin Tumblr, which you know, I don't think they will. But you have to look at the alternative. The alternative is not that Tumblr would have continued on exactly as it was, you know, two months ago. 
uh, the alternative is that Tumblr might have ruined Tumblr. And so, and you don't know that, you know, like, sure. and if you, you can look at something like Twitter, where Twitter has very clearly done a lot of damage to their own reputation and product in their efforts to, you know, make it a bigger business and, and mature the company and, and everything else. And, you know, Twitter is doing a pretty good job of ruining Twitter on its own. They didn't need someone to buy them. <laughs> yeah. That's and a really so good you, you have to look at the alternatives. Like, you know, if I, if, if Tumblr didn't buy, or if, if Yahoo didn't buy Tumblr, you don't know what Tumblr would have done on its own. Right, and if I didn't sell Instapaper to BetaWorks, you don't know what I would have done with Instapaper on on my own, and it might be worse than whatever a new owner does that you don't like. So let's talk about Tumblr. Um, after the sale, you wrote uh, an amazing and uh, thoughtful piece about David Carp and Tumblr, which was, I think, one of my favorite things that I've read this year, and it was called the One Person Thank Product. You. Right? Yep. You seem to have a lot of respect for him. Oh, I do absolutely. You know, it's it, I have. I mean, I, I worked with David as you know as a mostly two-person company for the first few years of Tumblr, and then even even for like the last year and a half or so, where it was more than two people, um, it was it was still a very small company, and I was still working very closely with David. So I had quite a lot of time with this guy, and there aren't a whole lot of people who know him better than I do. There, you know, there are a lot, but or you know, there are there are a handful rather. Uh, but there's there's not like a massive number, and and I can tell you without hesitation that this is somebody to watch. You know that that David is a really really talented guy, and and, and talented in product design and product direction. He's also a programmer, you know, and you got to give the guy respect. Like I was not the only programmer at Tumblr. I did the back end stuff. He did a lot of the front end stuff, and 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 for most of Tumblr's early life. He he did uh, all of the front end stuff <laughs> and and uh, and not and not just like HTML but all the controller logic all you know all like the middle layers. I was doing more of like the model logic, the 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 heavy lifting on the back end of caching and database access and everything. Um, but David even wrote key components of the framework, you know, the baseline framework that we were running against. So, you know, D- David is is a very capable and talented programmer, but. His bigger talents lie in product design and product direction, and and you know to have somebody who has both of those uh, talents is very unusual. And the the product direction part in particular, he is just really really good at. In and the, uh, in, in, it's it's hard to it's hard to recognize that until you've worked with somebody. Uh, but you can but you can see a lot of it just in his product. You know you can see what Tumblr is, and and pretty much everything that Tumblr is, is came out of David's head. Like. This wasn't some kind of like massive team effort where everyone's pitching ideas at a meeting every Monday, and then David just kind of picks the best ones. Like it's not like that at all. Uh, at least it wasn't for the first you know four years. But as far as I can tell, it still isn't like that. Um, you know, David really is like he is the idea guy. He is the director, and uh, and you know he'll take input from other people certainly, but it's mostly him directing the product. Like in the in the piece and from what you just said, um, you draw a lot of parallels between him and Steve Jobs, and it seems really interesting. Like because you can see like the idea that he came up with his product, it hasn't pivoted. It's just sort of steadily and greatly evolved over time, which is like a very Apple way of doing things. Oh yeah, and I mean you know I never worked for Steve Jobs, but certainly I I, I was a very attentive fan. Um, of of him and of the Apple universe for for you know the last decade or so, and so it, I would hear these stories about working with Steve, and I and I would see I you know you'd get little bits and pieces of what Steve was like from what he would show to the public, and uh, and it really does sound like there's a lot in common there, and people who don't know David might think I'm being like you know overly overly something like oh he he couldn't be that much you know that similar or oh steve jobs was awesome you know and, and david couldn't couldn't reach that cuz i've never heard of him or something but the fact is believe me like having having seen the public version of steve and heard hearing a lot of steve's stories and then having worked with very closely with david for a lot of time i can tell you there are really a lot of similarities there and, and that's for good and bad um but just like with steve overall it's good so one sentence that I really enjoyed in your articles, this one, is where you say, but as long as I manage investments properly and don't spend recklessly, Tumblr has given my family a strong safety net and given me the freedom to work on whatever I want. Now, 
I like that sentence because I'm a fan of people doing well and I'm genuinely really happy for you in this instance. However, this is the sort of thing that unfortunately brought out some haters and people making assumptions and judging you. And I, and I wonder what it's like to have something so great like this happen in your life, right? <laughs> something that you worked really hard on and is now, you know, now that even though you've moved away from it and started your own very successful businesses, it's providing you, but you've, you've now got the fruit of that labor. Um, and I wonder what it's like to have people be nasty in that way to you. Well, it's nothing new to me. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's if, true. <laughs> if if this was like the first thing that catapulted me into any kind of media attention, um, and I started getting hate for that, then I might have taken it more harshly. But the fact is, you know, yeah, Tumblr is selling, and assuming everything goes through, I'm going to make good money from it. I can't really complain if a few people call me a dick as a result of that. I mean, who cares? You know, like that. Like I have to realize I can I can publish anything on my site, anything, and I will get a good number of responses telling me I'm a complete moron or I'm, I'm an arrogant ass or, or who knows what else. I hear so much trolling every day from just what I do every day that I, I'm just kind of immune to it and I kind of filter it out at this point because you have to. I mean, you know, I don't have the thickest skin in the world, so sometimes it still does get to me, but I, I am slowly building up a tolerance. And so whatever minor blowback I got from... You know, from anything I said in that post, which, by the way, that post brought in the least negativity of anything I've written, I think, ever, <laughs> and, which is pretty good considering it also had some of the most page views of anything I've ever written. So it's an amazing ratio. Um, but you know, whatever tiny amount of negativity I got from that was was just not significant to me. So uh, I think that the statement that statement is is probably a good thing for the internet um, in that. What we've seen from you in the past is that when you're able to work on something that you want, like Instapaper, history has shown that this is a good thing for us. I hope so. You know, I, I think, you know, what what Tumblr money will give me is is as I say it'll give me freedom, and it's not to say that I never have to work again, but I can now be I can be a little more flexible now. You know, with with everything I've done in the past. Instapaper being the most notable example, um, I've had to make money from day one because I didn't have any money, <laughs> and it's like, well, I gotta, you know, I gotta pay for everything somehow. Um, and that, and once I took it full time, then the pressure's really on because then, like, you know, I gotta pay for health insurance, and I gotta pay all these additional taxes when you're self-employed, and all this other stuff. And so, you know, it's it, it was, you know, I had to make money immediately, and I had to, and I had to make a good amount of it, you know, every month just to pay basic expenses and, and live in the state of New York. Uh, thanks, taxes. Mm. And uh, <laughs> New York State's the worst. <laughs> um, and so now I will have a buffer. And so you know, my next project, I don't need to make money from day one. I would like to. I'm going to try to. But I don't need, like, it's, not a, it's not a major requirement. If it takes six months before it starts making any kind of significant money, that's fine. I, I can deal with that. You know, and so that that'll allow me to be more experimental. It'll allow me if I want to go into a market that maybe isn't that profitable or maybe isn't that big, I can do that. If I want to go into a market with aggressive pricing, I can do that. Like there's there's all sorts. If I want to you know go into something that has high server costs from day one, I can try that out. So now I have all this freedom, and that's that's immensely valuable to me because. The, the necessity to make good money from day one um, is now a little bit lessened. It's like you're venture backing yourself. Kind of, except that I'm still, you know, I'm still the same person with the same uh, priorities. So, you know, I'm not going to lose money for five years. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not, I mean, that would be extremely irresponsible of me. So I'm not going to do that. But it, but, is, it is like you're in startup, like the startup mode, as it were. You know, yeah, exactly. Which is, it I really think, is. is a good thing because, I mean, you know, you see startups, they come out with great things uh, because they can be a little bit more risky with the, with the types of thing they're doing. And that's kind of the what I'm hearing from you is that, that you're maybe taking some risks that you wouldn't have taken before. Yeah, that, 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 is, that is exactly it. And, and it's, and, and not just risks, but really experiments. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, certainly there is 
yeah, I guess risk is probably a better word. This is why you talk for a living. <laughs> That's, there's a, you know, I, I'm just excited to have, to have the freedom. Like, I'm, I'm building out a big server component, and it needs, it needs like, a good amount of hardware. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking, like, you know, crawling the web or anything, but I'm talking, like, you know, needing two or three dedicated servers before I even launch the thing. Right. And so that's going to cost like $1,000 a month. And I just, that, I could not do that before. Like there were, be, when I started Instapaper, I couldn't afford that, not, not even close. I mean, I, when I started Instapaper, it was, it was like 150 bucks a month and that was like a real strain. And so, you know, to, to have this freedom now, um, again, it will, it will allow me to try something that I couldn't try before or that before I would have had to build very slowly up to. And, and now I can just come out there from the gate uh, with with something really cool, I hope. When um, I don't know if you'd remember this or if you've been aware of it, but before Kevin Rose was hired by Google, he started a company. I can't remember the name of the company now, but Pounce. No, this. Do you remember Milk? He, he, uh, he started a startup. He, he that was after Pounce, right? Yeah, he started a startup company. The name I can't remember, but one of the first projects they did was Milk, which was I think actually I think the company was called Milk. But anyway, and what he was attempting to do was to create. He had lots of ideas, product ideas, and he wanted to create lots of apps and services. And his idea was in such that if one didn't work, like if it didn't meet the goals that he wanted, whether it had users or not, he'd shut it down. And and obviously that's not what I'm saying you're going to do, but the way that you're talking reminds me of that. Like I have these ideas for things I want to try that are not necessarily sure things, but I want to give them a go and I'm just willing to see what happens. Well, the good thing is the basic idea of what I'm doing I think is very solid. And, you know, there's all these jokes about me selling everything and that's that's fine, I, I get that. <laughs> um, but what, I, what I'm building now I intend to last me for years yeah you know like you know instant paper lasted me about five years and i expect the next thing i do to last at least that same amount of time and i could be wrong who knows you know I, i'll find out <laughs> i guess um but that that's what that's what i'm aiming for here and you know it with in the realm of experimentation you know what what i'm going to be experimenting with mostly is just the details of things like the back-end design, the pricing model, things like that, like th- things that I can experiment with with some buffer. Um, now I can do that. But the basic concept, I think, is pretty solid. Let's talk I about... Feel, I feel bad that I can't tell you more about it yet. Well, this is this is sort of pre-tease mode, right? This is what we do. This is how, <laughs> this is how we roll. So we're going to come back to this, actually, but I want to talk about the magazine okay. a little bit. Sure, yeah. Um, so basically, the magazine completed your yard sale, right? It was the last thing to go. But my understanding was that you were looking at doing this before Tumblr anyway? Yeah, Glenn and I were talking about that and pretty much had it pretty pretty solidified about a month and a half before the sale. And so that was like a few weeks before the Tumblr news started started rumbling. And, uh, and, and in fact, we were joking like during the Tumblr stuff happening, like, oh, this is going to be hilarious when we announce this. Because <laughs> now like, <laughs> everyone's going to think I'm selling everything in the same month. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, it was it was in progress beforehand because, you know, the the reasons why I sold it, which are basically that I had created a job that I didn't like <laughs> for myself, and all the all the stuff I did like was very front loaded, and so like you know all the stuff of making the app and and designing the product, I love those things, and uh, that was all like at the beginning of the project, yeah. <laughs> and then after that it becomes running a magazine every two weeks and you know cranking out content and and dealing with writers and and illustrators and you know doing a lot of paperwork and and just invoices and checks and sorry I don't know how to pronounce checks with the q in the middle like you do checkways we call them <laughs> there you go <laughs> um and so you know I created this job for myself uh, inadvertently that I really didn't like and and Glenn does like all that stuff and wanted to do all that stuff and wanted to take the whole thing further so I said yeah this this makes a lot of sense actually so let's just do it and it was it was one of the easiest things I've ever done. I mean, he and I had basically all the same thoughts on terms, on pricing, on the transfer process. I mean, everything. It was ridiculously easy. So why why sell it? Why not just be like a silent partner? Well, because I I prefer a clean break. Okay. You know, like if I'm if I'm still really involved, or even if I'm even if, I, if it doesn't take much time. But I'm still like heavily financially involved, or 
you know, or I'm still like the ultimate owner or something bad happens. Uh, to be involved in any way like that, uh, it, it, it weighs on your mind on some level. It's something that you have to keep in the back of your mind. And I don't like having too many of those things because I stretch out about them. And so I can't just have something par- partially in the background. I, I can't do that. Um, I also learned with Instapaper and the magazine that having those two at the same time, I learned that I'm not very good at juggling multiple things of the same type. You know, I can do a blog, a podcast, and an app because those are, those are three very different kinds of things. They're very different kinds of creativity, very different kinds of work, and they satisfy different parts of, of my mind, I guess. But having multiple apps... I just can't do that. Like I have a very hard time splitting my attention between them. I have a very hard time being motivated to work on one or the other. You know, whichever one I don't really love at that moment. Like <laughs> it's very hard for me to uh, to do that. And so I had this project I wanted to do, and I, I had already sold Instapaper, and I had this project I wanted to do this fall. And I'm like, you know, what? The magazine is just going to be an interruption for me every two weeks. And it's going to be this thing that I have to be responsible for, this thing that I have to worry about and think about. All of that for a job I don't really like. (laughs) And so uh, that's why I decided to sell it. It was was not about, you know, money concerns necessarily, um, but just getting it off my plate completely. Just removing one thing that I'm responsible for. So do you think that, if you hadn't decided to sell Instapaper, that you would have made the decision to sell the magazine? I don't know. It's hard to say, probably. But it's very hard to say because I, I started the Instapaper sale process back like in February. So uh, that, w- that was a good no- That was a couple of months before I thought about selling the magazine. So I don't know. But I probably still would have sold it. So now that you've you've gone through this and you know you've gone through selling your own stuff and some being more big and legally than others and you you've been through seeing what it's like for a company to be to receive such a major buyout and stuff like that. Have, have your opinions at all changed on this stuff like VC stuff, buyout stuff? Because historically you've been quite, and I guess you you know you were making jokes about this. So historically you've been kind of vocally against these types of things. Sure, I mean. Selling things, you know, as an independent, selling to somebody bigger or somebody different, uh, so you, so that you can move on. That is a very good thing, I think, because otherwise, you know, I I mentioned a little bit of this on quit, so I won't go too far into it, but otherwise, like, you're kind of locked in. You can't quit your own company. <laughs> like, there's yeah. like, if I if I wanted to move on after after work on Instapaper for five years, you know, a lot of people in tech change jobs every every two to four years or so, so. You know, if you want to move on after five years of this being your company, you kind of can't. Like, you can't quit your own job without just, you know, abandoning the whole product. You have to move it on. You have to give it to somebody. You have to ensure that it has a future. You know, a job that you don't own the company for, you can just leave and then they will take care of it because it's their problem. <laughs> you know, but when it's your company, it's your problem. And, uh, and so if independent developers, had no other options once they were done working on something, then I think it wouldn't be a very good business to be in. I think you wouldn't have as many people um, doing it. You'd have a lot more like miserable developers kind of phoning it in more after more than the first few years because they were tired of working on something. And you ha- you'd have a lot more abandoned products and or shut down products, yeah. uh, which is not good. So I think I think this is an important part of the environment you know you have to have some way for independent developers to move on without dying you know to move on <laughs> and uh so from that end you know i don't think i ever really had a problem with that but it, it doesn't usually happen with big public things you know usually there's been tons of acquisitions of independent developers products and stuff uh but usually it's smaller stuff you don't really hear about it but that's always been there and that, that i think should always be there now with VC, it's a little bit different. I think I, I think there is a place for VC. I really do. And and there's a lot of companies, you know, like what I was just saying about how now I have the freedom to like come out of the gate with a thousand dollar a month server cost if I need to. Um, that's a very small scale example uh, compared to what VC can do. And if you did want to do something like 
take on Google Web Search. You know, some something that 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 would have very large upfront costs, and and it might be a while before you could be profitable on that. Uh, then VC is a great solution to that. Or if you're doing something that's very personnel intensive from the beginning, where you know hiring people is way more expensive than running servers by by a long shot. And so, you know, if you, if you have a company that requires like, you know, more than two full-time employees from the very beginning, then you probably are going to have to raise some money. And so I'm fine with that. I'm fine with VC being that way. What I don't like about VC is the idea from the media, the, the tech press, the, the tech industry, uh, whatever else, the idea that that's the default or only option. That I believe that you can do quite a lot without taking VC. And a lot of the companies that we see that do take VC really didn't need to, and they, they could have done it on their own if they wanted to, you know. Um, but it really depends on what you're going for. One of the reasons why my end game with Instapaper was not to hire a bunch of people and raise money uh, was because I didn't want to run that kind of company. Even because even taking money, you're basically hiring yourself a bunch of bosses. You know, you're hiring you're hiring a boss who's going to give you the money. You're hiring a board that you'll have to report to and make presentations for, and all that stuff takes tons of time and can be quite stressful, especially if you if you don't choose wisely who those people are. Yeah. Um, and so, VC is a very double-edged sword. It's it's not free money. Uh, there's a lot of complexity to it and a, and a lot of costs to it. And and because it's not always necessary. I feel like any idea that suggests that it's like the default or the only way to go. Like there's, there was this hilarious article on The Verge yesterday, and I, I know you use Pocket, so I won't be too critical. But it was an article. <laughs> don't worry, it's it's all right. We all have flaws. Uh, there there was an article. <laughs> well, you sold it, so. You know. Yeah. Well, anyway, there <laughs> you used it before that. That's all right. <laughs> there was an article on The Verge about Pocket, and and there was a, it, they had mentioned Instapaper and in the sale, and they said. That pocket makes Instapaper's business model look downright old-fashioned. <laughs> I just laughed my butt off when I because I'm like, what? Like making money is old-fashioned. <laughs> That's, like and not taking VC. And the funny thing is, I can totally see why the author wrote. That. I don't even know who the author was, but I, I can totally see why they wrote that because that is the common wisdom in this industry right now. Is that VC is the way to go, and if you if you are charging money for something and being profitable from the beginning, that's crazy talk. Why would you do that? Like, so you know, I totally see that that there's there is this belief in our in our industry that VC is the right way and the only way. Yeah, and I just think that's that's just bullshit. <laughs> Can't say any more than that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so on that, let's go to a sponsor. <laughs> no, it's, that's a good. No, you you've kind of summed it up the way that I thought that you would like. That there are times where these things make sense, um, and, and yeah, I, I I appreciate what you're saying. Like it, it is strange, especially from from hearing you know that from that that article is that it's weird that you're it's it's weird to say it's that you should that making money is old fashioned and and that the that sort of business model like you pay us and then we make money and then we make money so we can continue making things, right? It's and the, the idea way. too that. Sorry, go ahead. It's like the standard way that business has always been done. Right. It's, I mean, it is old-fashioned in the sense that it's, very, it's a very old model, but that doesn't mean that it's out of... It doesn't mean like it's, out, it's outdated, you know? And I think when you tell people that you could have taken VC money, but you chose not to, they're like, what? Why would you turn... Like, they don't understand. Like, why would you turn down free money? Because, you know, they think it's free. Yeah. And, you know, the, the idea of... You know, I'm not driven by money. A- and the fact is, you know, if if Pocket turns out really well for those guys and they end up selling, which is the most likely outcome for a company like that, um, if they end up selling that company in the next two years, which I, I think, I, I suspect within the next two years, Pocket will either be acquired or be shut down just because they're on the VC track. I've seen this before. And the most likely course is that they will be acquired. And... You know they're probably going to be acquired for a much higher price than what I sold Instapaper for, um, and of course it's going to be divvied up a lot more different ways. 
And they're probably going, you know, the founder, uh, he might make more than I made from Instapaper. I don't really know that. I don't know his details. Um, he probably will make more, honestly. But I don't consider that like that I did my part wrong or that I lost, you know, because to, to me, for him to have done that, he had to, for the last few years, do all this crazy money stuff, raise, you know, raising and dealing with the board and the VCs and everything, and he had to grow his company into something pretty substantially large. They have, what, like 10, 12 people, something like that? And, uh, and he has to be a boss of all those people, and he probably can't really do a whole lot of development these days. And there's all these, all these costs, all these differences in what he's doing versus what I've been doing, and I like the way I was running things. I like being the one person. I don't want to be a boss to a bunch of people. I don't want to have to deal with VCs and a board. I don't want to run a big company. And I want to keep programming. I want to keep doing things myself. I really enjoy that. And so even if at the end of the day, he ends up making more money for himself, I don't consider that a loss because I've been doing what I've wanted and I, and I didn't want what he's been doing. You did things that were the right way for you. Exactly. And that's and if a good he, if thing. If he wants to do his thing that way, good. I, it, people should do what they want to do, you know? And it's good that we have options. And so that's, you know, so what I'm saying is like, you know, it isn't all about who can make the most money eventually, someday maybe. <laughs> you know, it, for me, it's about what do I want to do? Because the fact is, you know, if, you know, after a certain point, money starts meaning a lot less. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't buy happiness. It, it buys options a lot of times, and uh, sometimes it can buy. It can buy necessities at you know, at the lower levels. But once you're above, you know, a middle class income, the, every additional dollar you get matters a, a heck of a lot less because it just doesn't. It doesn't materially affect your life that much, you know. And so it's a lot less important to try to keep chasing. How am I going to make more and more and more? Um, and it becomes a lot more about am I doing what I want to be doing? And so that's why I'm saying, like, you know, for me. For me personally, I think I won, and that's not to say that anyone else in this business lost. You know, if if Pocket and Readability and Evernote and all these people, you know, if they're if they're all happy, then we all won. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. Let, let's take a quick break, and then I want to talk to you about what's next. Sure. So we'll take a quick moment to thank um, our sponsor, who's Squarespace.com, who give you absolutely everything that you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace is a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, portfolio, business site, or even an online store. It doesn't matter how experienced you are with putting websites online, because with Squarespace, you can build something in minutes that looks amazing. You don't have to worry about all of the nasty stuff like hosting, scaling, integrating with social services like Twitter and Facebook or any of it, really, because Squarespace have it all in one package. They have beautiful themes. They all feature responsive web design, so they look fantastic on any device, no matter how people are visiting you. And you can build your pages in Squarespace with their very powerful page-building system called Layout Engine, which allows you to drag and drop custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You just choose the types of content that you want and drag and drop them and resize them on the all within the web browser. It's like it's a native application. You can make your site look unique. You don't have to worry about statistics. You don't have to worry about installing anything like that because it's all built in with Squarespace. And they have iOS and Android apps so you can view your stats and see who's coming to your site, but also manage and post your site on the go. You have amazing features like Squarespace Commerce as well, which allows you to add a fully integrated store to your website. So you can accept payments, sell physical goods, digital goods, manage your inventory, and so much more. They have 24-7 customer support. You can get domain names if you buy one of their annual plans, and they're free and integrated for you, or you can integrate your own custom domain in just a few clicks. Squarespace is an amazing package. I want you to go and try it out for yourself. Go to squarespace.com. You can sign up for a free trial there and find out more information. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month for their standard plan and $20 a month for their unlimited plan. Sign up for a year. You'll get 20 off that price sign up for two years you'll get 25% off and don't forget to use this code at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first order that code is 70 decibels 6 at 70 d-e-c-i-b-e-l-s and the number 6 that will give you 10% off so go check out Squarespace everything that you need to make an amazing website thank you for to Squarespace for being a sponsor of this show 5x5 and all of the podcasts that they sponsor because we love them very much for doing that don't we Marco Sure do. 
So what's next for you? Are you looking at more creative and media-based projects or just apps? You said you don't like to have multiple apps on the go. So you've got your podcasts. Do you th- have right. you got the Currently I have bug? zero apps. Right. So I want to increment that. I want to have one app. And then what else? And then, I, I, you know, I, I think I don't really have a lot of, like, big secret plans for other areas. You know, I'm going to keep writing my site and I'm going to keep having my podcast. And... Uh, that's about it. You know, I don't, I don't really plan to start like a podcast network or anything. I, I can't imagine that I would enjoy that work because um, podcasting, as you know, and running a network, as you know, uh, is a whole lot of time investment mm-hmm. and, and just a whole lot of work. And I can, I'm very happy doing that for one show, for my show, <laughs> but uh, I really do not want to do that for anyone else. And certainly the idea of of adding more shows to it. I mean, my show right now takes about half a day a week of editing and about you know you know about about two hours of recording. Yeah, you do you do a great job on the edit. Thank you. Yeah, I do. You know, so we record like on a Wednesday night, and then Thursday I try to have the whole show edited and draft state by lunch. So it's like Wednesday night recording, and then Thursday entire morning is editing, and then it's done. You know, for the most part, and you know, then I send it to Casey, and he listens for all of you know any kind of, any unmuted coughs and things like that. And then I, I, you know, just edit those out. But for the most part, my job is done after Thursday morning. And um, you know, for me to add any more shows would multiply all that. And yep. as you know, it would very quickly consume the entire week. <laughs> and <Yes>. so, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not a professional podcast producer as my primary job. It is a it is a hobby of mine, and I really enjoy doing it. And it's it's very important uh, for my reputation, for my audience, for everything else. It's very important for me to keep having a show. But uh, I don't need more than one, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason that that I wanted to join Five by Five was to get a lot of the stuff that I don't enjoy doing taken away from me, and just allow me to create the shows, which is what I like doing. You know, managing a site, managing all the hosting all of the admin that comes with all of that stuff, I don't really, I'm not very good at it and I don't enjoy it. So it made perfect sense for me because now I get to just create shows that I enjoy. And that, right, and that's, that's you know, that fits with everything everything I've been doing. It's exactly. like, you know, if there's work that you really don't enjoy doing that consumes a lot of your time, if there's a way to outsource it, it's worth considering. So do you feel pressure at the moment? Like, do you think that people expect your next thing to be amazing and be a massive success? Well, I mean, maybe a few people do. But, you know, I was really freaked out when I launched the magazine because that was the first big thing I had launched since anyone knew who I was. Because no one knew who I was with Tumblr, except for, like, my little group of friends. Because Tumblr was all about David. And I was, you know, the programmer on the side. And, and I wasn't, I was, like, five years older. So all the stories about... Oh, look how young this kid is who's starting it. Like they didn't they didn't give a crap about the five year old five years older programmer next to him. Like <laughs> I was completely irrelevant there uh, in the public eye. And so people really knew me for Instapaper, not for Tumblr. And so the magazine was the first thing I launched since people knew who I was. And that I felt an immense amount of pressure. And I was very, very scared. People would say, Oh, it's just a magazine? You know, that's what you've been doing? Like, just that. And and it turned out that I didn't get any of those responses, and well, except for Leo Laporte, but nobody else. <laughs> and <laughs> that's all right. I don't listen to his shows. <laughs> I have. Some, uh, I'm not going to say anything. That's what you. You don't have to. You. Uh, you have more <laughs> political capital to lose here than I do, I guess, because you're a professional podcaster. Um, well, he doesn't do podcasts. He does netcasts. Oh yeah, I um, forgot. We're we're in a different market. Right. So, it's so a different okay. industry. I can say what I like. <laughs> Um, and so I felt all this pressure for the magazine, and then it turned out to be unfounded. It turned out people loved it, and even doing something like a magazine where that's a pretty old idea, um, just doing it my way. You know, I didn't have to like invent a flying toaster. You know, I, I could I could do something that already existed and just do my my version of it, and people were fine with that. And I am still just one person, and I want to keep being just one person working on these things. And so I'm always going to be limited in, in the scope and the scale of what I can do. And, again, that's how I like it. So, I, uh, you know, my next thing is not going to take over the world. It's not going to be totally revolutionary and define a whole new category. You know, I, I, think, I think Instapaper was a fluke. 
and uh, I don't think I'm going to be defining a whole lot more categories in my life. I mean, that's you know, usually when you define a category, it's kind of luck. And, and so I, I, I'm very happy to have done it with Instapaper, um, and and I'm fine leaving it leaving it at that if that if that turns out to be that way. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not setting up expectations that I'm gonna like take over the world here. You know, I I just want to do the kind of app I want to make and do it my way. And some people are gonna like it, and a whole bunch of people are never gonna hear about it, and that's fine with me. So you just attended WWDC. You were there. You had a ticket. Um, I did. Did the announcements that Apple made, um, you know, I'm sure some of the NDA stuff as well, which obviously we won't talk about, but did it affect or reinforce any decisions that you've made about your project or inform any new ones? Well, the biggest thing was that I had intentionally, you know, my, my thing, my project has a web component and a uh, an app component, um, like Instapaper. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I had intentionally not written any iOS code yet because I knew I had been hearing these rumors that iOS 7 was going to be really different. And I figured, all right, well, with my timeline here, I can probably require iOS 7 because I'm not, there's no way I'm going to, I still have no iOS code written. So even today. So I know that, you know, I'm not going to have this thing out before iOS 7. That's, that's unrealistic. It's going to be hard enough to make that deadline. And, so I knew I could require it. And the reason I didn't do any iOS code before then was that because I knew things were going to be changing or potentially changing, I thought, you know what, I don't want to go into this with a legacy code base, even, even if the legacy is one month old. Um, I, I don't even want to design it. Even in my head, I don't want to design the way this app is laid out, the way it looks, anything like that, until after WWDC. And because, because I want it to feel native. On iOS seven, and and I, I beforehand I was thinking, okay, what if they introduce like you know a new navigational paradigm? Like we've always had the tab bar, and we've had the navigation controllers where you push all the cards around and everything. And recently, we've started seeing apps that do like the basement with the hamburger and stuff like that, <laughs> or the magazines, which is more like an attic because it floats above it. It's the worst uh, name. <laughs> isn't that great? It's just so bad. Hamburger basement. It's just. Yeah, like like the, you would never want to combine those two things, <laughs> <laughs> or an attic for that matter. It's not that much better. No. So, oh, I think a basement's worse. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so you know, obviously the world was experimenting with different navigational paradigms, and I figured, what if Apple adds some kind of new standard for like, oh, this is how apps that have you know navigational layers, this is how they're going to be laid out, or this is how they're going to be structured. And so I thought, I don't even want to design anything about how the app is even laid out until after the conference, and then I'll make the decisions. And so that's what I did. And so I went there with no iOS code. Like, I mean, I had, I had like a, a few like, you know, proof of concepts for some of the back-end stuff, but I had no, no interface code. You know, I'm, I'm going to start, like I'm still working on the web thing now, but I'm going to start probably next week by going to Xcode and saying, file new project. And that's immensely freeing. And to be able to start that with something, you know, iOS 7 did change a lot. Like, all the things that I thought, oh, maybe we'll get, like, one new navigational paradigm. Or maybe we'll get, like, a significant new new theme of some sort. Uh, they did way more than I thought they would. <laughs> and so there's a whole lot of new stuff to play with. A whole bunch of new APIs. There's, all, there's tons of new stuff to, to, to think about, to design around, to design for, and to write against. And so I really I couldn't be happier with with the timing of this. I mean, it's, it's really you know by by a combination of <laughs> of a small amount of foresight and then mostly luck, I, I I ended up having being on the verge of starting a new iOS project right as all this new stuff had changed, <laughs> and also having a clean plate when it happened. I mean, this I, this is an, a ridiculous opportunity, and and I really hope I don't blow it. So <laughs> this is why I'm going to be working very hard this summer. In regards to design, um, are you going to be working on the design yourself or are you going to be bringing in people to do that? Because design is very different now in iOS oh, 7. Yeah. One thing is that I, I obviously want to um, do the structural design myself. And I, and I usually have done that and it's usually worked pretty well. Um, the actual graphical stuff, uh, things like icons, artwork, uh, colors... Maybe some of the spacing and text choices. Color is um, so important now as well, isn't it? Color, yeah. Like the highlight colors and stuff. Exactly. So those I will outsource to people who are better at that. 
probably Pacific Helm. Um, but the rest of it, like the the layout of the app, and and like yeah, you know, even like what's on certain screens or how you get to certain things, um, that I want to do mostly myself because I, I really enjoy that work. And that's you know it, it's basically how I did the magazine, which was you know I I did most of the decision making and structuring of the magazine's interface, and then Pacific Helm helped me on on a lot of the like you know the visual details of it. Um, and so I, I'm planning on doing the same thing, um, but it's going to be hard because this is very new to us. You know, with with previous versions of iOS, you know, we had the iPhone for a year before there was even an app store, before you could even develop for it officially. So we knew how iPhones were supposed to work. We knew how iPhone apps were supposed to be designed and supposed to flow and supposed to look. And we had all that information for a year before we could even make an app. And now all that's out the window. Well, not all of it, but a lot of it is out the window. And so I, I wasn't going to be brave enough to install the beta on my main iPhone at the conference. Uh, I did install it on a 4S, that I had, my, my old 4S, but I don't have data service on that phone. I don't carry that phone, so I'm not really using it. So what I'm planning on doing is, uh, is actually installing whatever beta 2 is, I'm going to install that on my main phone immediately. And whenever we get that, because I need to learn this OS. Yeah, you do. I need to learn how it works yeah. and what's expected of, of apps in it. And there is no better way to do that than to immerse yourself in it. So, like, I, I got an iPod Touch and put it on there um, just so I could, you know, see see what's going on. Like, I got one of the new ones. Cause I, Everyone does. Yeah, I mean, I was able to pick it up quite cheap because I bought it in the States, so yay conversion. Um, right. And it feels like, it, it feels like a, so you know, I've played around with Android, and I have a Windows phone here as well. Um, and iOS seven feels like another one of those. Like it doesn't feel like it feels totally different. There are so many things that are different, and the way that things are done, and the way you think about things. It does to me feel like I'm using a totally different OS. It's very, it's very interesting. It's very strange. Oh yeah, and 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 i'm not saying that i'm going to get the design right on the first try cuz i won't there's i mean no one does but yeah i i think it's going to take us like a year or two to really get a good feel for how ios 7 apps should work and should look um and even you know even ios 7 you know there's all these new things um that i think we're talked about in the keynote so i don't have to worry about nda stuff <laughs> things like dynamics where there's like a built-in physics engine, sort of, and and you can like make things bounce around and stuff like that. Um, you can see that in all the demos, though, like the, yeah, the yeah, message yeah. ones and stuff. And that's where you I like see. it the most, like where they like collapse and bounce together and stuff. Right. And there, so we have we have that. We have all these ridiculous new animations. Things can swoop in and and blow up and collapse and <laughs> and all these all these <laughs> translucent can... layers and everything. I, I think we're gonna have a period of experimentation with all these new capabilities we have mm. and at first people are going to go overboard and it's going to we're going to have everything bouncing all over the place and it's going to be kind of annoying <laughs> and then eventually we'll tone it down and we'll realize like okay this is like the better version of that this is how we should use these things and uh and and then we'll have you know the, a nice stable platform that we're designing for but between now and then which is probably a year or two out it's just going to be the wild west of like bouncing things and experimentation, and uh, I think it'll be exciting. So you wrote a, a post last week, I think it was Fertile Ground, which will be in the show notes, um, where you talk about some of this stuff and how we're entering a new a new era because there can be, I mean, this is the worst word, but I can't think of a better one, like disruption in certain. Um, I was going to say verticals. What is wrong with me? That's that's right. That's, that's terrible, right? Categories. <laughs> that's better. So, like you know, that you've got your Twitter app and your RSS app and all that. They, in theory, they're all going to change, and there are opportunities for new developers or for developers that maybe hadn't been so successful to get in there quick and make the changes that they need to make, and and then can when you know when the first day comes for iOS seven, they're the apps that will get featured and they're the apps that will be downloaded. You know, I'm sure that Apple will be really on the hunt for the day of iOS 7 and potentially the new iPhone to put these new apps, as they always do, that, that are made for iOS 7 right on the front page of the store. So we're, I guess it's a bit of a rush at the moment, right, to get it ready in time for everyone. 
Oh yeah, and you know, and like I for Instapaper, I wanted to be on day one of the iPad, and to do that, I basically blew up the iPhone design. I didn't have an iPad to play with, and I was there on day one of the iPad. But what I shipped was kind of embarrassing because <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing on the iPad yet. And but at you least know, it, just, you it took time. You know, you were there when apps right. all looked weird. They all right, looked weird. exactly. <laughs> and, and and so I think iOS 7 is going to be a very similar kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's better now that we, we at least have a few months that we can install it ourselves on our devices. Um, so that, that, that gives us a huge advantage over what the iPad launch was like because none of us had devices. But it's still going to be like, yeah, we're all going to try to be there for day one. But what we ship is going to be weird. <laughs> and, and we're probably going to look back on it in two years and say, oh, I can't believe I shipped that. <laughs> you know? but, uh, but so that's why it's going to be interesting. You know, the, you know, the whole thing with the Frodo Ground Post is that I really do believe that this is really going to shake things up because everything designed before iOS 7, if you run it on iOS 7, it looks and feels really old and dated. And there's going to be demand for apps that are fresh and new for iOS 7. And if you have an existing user base and an existing code base that you have to bring over from previous versions, it's going to be a lot harder for you yeah. to, to be good on iOS 7. And we're already seeing, like I, th I think yesterday was it, that Instacast uh, developers announced that they're going to just break free already. Like they're, they said like it's going to be a separate app, separate purchase. You know, sorry, <laughs> basically, yeah. and I think that's a really smart move. You know, I, I think I think we're going to see a lot of developers doing that, where even though it's going to anger a lot of their existing customers, especially if if it's like a double payment situation, um, to say like you know we're going to have a whole separate app for iOS seven, and the old one's going to be discontinued, and you know, sorry if if that offends you, you know, like I, I think that's going to be a very common um, path for developers to take because. It, it's one of the best paths they can take. Like there, there's not a lot of better options here. You know, your other better option is you can you can you can be a stick in the mud and sit in the past, and just keep bringing over your iOS six code, or you can attempt to like add iOS seven stuff to it conditionally. That's going to be really difficult to do well, um, and and so you know there's there's other alternatives, but they all I think suck more than just saying you know what I'm starting clean here. Because I remember so. this was like a. A, a good thread, like a constant thread in Build and Analyze was sort of cutting off for iOS 6 um, and at what point you made that switch over and, you know, the magazine was just iOS 6, wasn't it? Yep, and and it was really not a problem at all. I mean, requiring iOS 6 wasn't too bad except for that you lost the iPad 1. and that, that was the biggest problem. You know, you lost some kind of ancient phone, but who cares? Um, the biggest thing was that you lost the iPad 1. Now with 7... You don't lose any iPads. You still have the same compatibility there. I think you lose like one iPod Touch generation or something. Yeah, that was why they the did one that this you stopped selling. <laughs> yeah, that's why they did this. Right. That's going to be a little inconvenient um, if you if you have a high percentage of iPod Touch users. That's going to probably suck. Um, but I don't know any apps that do. Maybe games, like where like the iPod Touch is a major part. I mean. With yeah, Instapaper, I think, I think the Apple Touch was like seven percent or something. It, it was some really small. And they're number. all the ones that Syracuse owns, right? Exactly. It's pretty much all Syracuse. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was some kind of tiny number for that for that. You know, that'll depend on your app. But you know, losing the iPad one hurt more for me, and I think for most people. But you know, with seven, like if you can require six, you can require seven basically. And I bet we're going to see a lot of developers do that. So this is, you know, we, we spoke about it on the show and the way that you finish this post is by saying you're going to be invading an existing industry, you know. Of course I am. Because it's the right time to, it, it maybe wouldn't have made sense six months ago, but now you can create something that looks great and works on iOS 7 and snatch up some of the users that are already potentially rebuying from somewhere else. Sure. And the, and the thing is, you know, I, I probably would have done it anyway, even six months ago. <laughs> now it's just going to be easier. <laughs> well, you're Marco, right? You can do what you want. <laughs> you just go in, hey guys, I made an app, buy it. Right, it's that easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure having you, Marco. Thank um, you very much. Where can people find you? Uh, Marco.org. And you have your podcast as well? ATP.FM for Accidental Tech Podcast. It's a great URL, that. I can't believe that was available. I mean, FMs are, are like 75 bucks a year. So that's the only reason why you can get pretty good ones. <laughs> but uh, still, to have like a three-letter one, that's pretty good. 
you got the the great music that you have. You have great music for. I really enjoyed the intro for the pre WWDC one. <laughs> Poor <you>. Casey. <laughs> that his friend made it, so it's okay. Yeah, but that's that wasn't on the last episode. I hope that that makes a <laughs> a comeback at some point. That was, that was yeah, maybe. And your Marco Arment on Twitter, right? That's right. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. I am Mike Hurley. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, on Twitter. So you can find me there if you would like. Um, a, a good note, we have a new show debuting on 5x5 today, actually. So maybe by the time that you hear this, or not too long after, and it's a show called The Prompt, which will be myself, Stephen Hackett of 512Pixels, and Federico Vitici of Mac Stories. It's a a brand new sort of Apple and technology-focused roundtable discussion show, which we'll have to have you on one day, Marco. You can join us if you would so wish. Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing this show. Thank you. And it, that debuts today, so you can look out for that, and you can find it at 5x5.tv slash prompt. The page is already there with the beautiful artwork. So you can go and do that. And I will be back next week with, with another episode of Command Space for you. And currently, I'm hoping to be joined by Ellis Hamburger, of the verge so you can look out for that thank you all for listening and until next time bye bye bye